0: Good morning. Get a little closer. Yeah, it feels a little better. Very good. I think I'm now standing in the middle of that light, so that's kind of funky. Let me back up. Maybe that's okay. All right. Good morning again. I'm, I'm a little more comfortable. Um, verse John four, one to six. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and if you would please join me in prayer. And just by the way, when we pray in here. Um, that's that's an invitation for you to pray too. That's not like a transitional tool for a service. You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't use prayer as a transition so people can leave the stage and people can get set for the next movement. That's like, no, we need to talk to Jesus, right? So would you join me in prayer and ask for the Lord to rule our time and that He would be our teacher. Father, in the name of Jesus For the glory of Jesus, would you cause Spirit to do what Jesus said He would do and be our counselor, our teacher, our guide, our convictor in all of those spheres. Cause Spirit to lead us to the Son. Cause me to, to speak only what is right. And to whatever degree I err, would you cut it off from the souls of your people for my sake and for theirs. Be gracious to teach and lead us now. We pray for the glory of the Son. Amen. 1 John 4, 1-6 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. One thing became blatantly clear for me this week is that we would not get through all six of these verses today. If I were to do justice to these verses, there is no way in God's green earth we would make it through all six. Matter of fact, I have a total, its just my exposition of the text, nine different points, and uh, they're just not going to make it today. So uh, if this were a conference on these verses, I'd expect you to sit for three hours, and we would work our way through them, but I don't expect that, that's not what this time is for. And so... We're going to work our way slowly through it. We're going to get through the first two verses this week because it's too important. It's too important. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again and I'm never going to apologize for this, okay? My mission is not to get done. My mission is to be faithful to the text. And if you don't want me for that, then I will by all means go. You can find you somebody else, okay? But I'm going to be faithful to the text, alright? Because Jesus will get me if I'm not. And I fear Him. And so, I do in that all holy Bible concept of fear. So, not terror. Don't, don't think scary movie. Think Bible fear. Um, joyful trembling. Um, today, we're going to work our way through the first two verses because it's too vital. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. To whatever degree there's tension between humans, we must bow the knee to that truth that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our wrestling is not with each other. Ultimately, outside these walls, our wrestling is not with people who do not believe the gospel. We wrestle not against flesh and blood if if our government decided that it would be illegal for us to make disciples and to preach the gospel and speak out against the rebellion, and they came against us, and whether we defended ourselves or allowed them to pillage us, we still do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There are Paul's words there. Ephesians 6. Our war is not against people. Paul says it's against principalities and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. Today in this passage, and we did this several years ago, I preached a series on spiritual warfare. And I think all those are still available online somewhere. And I don't know how to find them. So, I'm sorry. They're floating around in cyberspace somewhere. So, um you go listen to that, and, and probably for the next couple of weeks, we're going to revisit a little of that as we talk through this passage. Because John introduces for us in in First John four one through six here, the next portion of his dealing with this group of Christians who are who have been abandoned by people who appear to be more spiritual. They're they're more focused on spiritual things, and these poor fools who clung to Jesus uh, are just inferior. And John writes to encourage them that they have believed the gospel, and they are in the faith, and the Spirit dwells in them, and it's all right. And to help them take confidence in the gospel. And he transitions from this section that we've looked at for a couple of weeks on, this is how we know we're in the gospel, is we love one another. We're eternally committed to each other's eternal good in a manner that that person can best receive it. And we show that and we have confidence before God in that love by our fellowship with one another. And he transitions from the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4 with this idea of the spiritual realm. We know we have the Spirit by how we love each other. And then he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test them. Often in this war this spiritual struggle of ideas, we discover here that these spirits teach wrong ideas and they teach wrong practices. I'm truthfully this week already wrestling with what degree do I just get in the dirt in dealing with means and ends. And when I say means and ends, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Ends are the, the goals, the big picture. An end of Christianity, an end would be the glory of Jesus among all nations. That's an end of the Bible. The Bible wants to produce in you a desire for the glory of Jesus among all nations. That's an end. A means is how you would accomplish that. What does the Bible teach us is a means to the end of the glory of Jesus of all, uh, among all nations. What's a means? The Great Commission. Preaching the gospel. That's a means. So the end defines the means. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? A means to the end of the glory of Jesus among not all nations is not adaptation to other religious systems in order to make Jesus a little more palatable. That would be a an, uh, wrong answer. That means does not match that end. Are you tracking with me? You look like you're lost. Please, it is okay. I know that we don't move a lot, but if you're understanding, you may bob and weave, amen, right? Whatever you need to do, okay? When we're dealing with spiritual issues, ideas and practices are not to be ignored. Wrong ends can produce wrong means. Just because you tack the name Jesus onto a method does not make the method a proper method for accomplishing gospel ends. Does that make sense? Unfortunately, it's not unbelievers alone who are targets of false teaching. We already know from the scriptures that the unbelievers have their their eyes blinded to Jesus. And it's not just unbelievers who are in this war, this spiritual struggle for right ideas and right practices. John here is addressing the church. He's not addressing unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians and he is telling them, test the spirits. Test the spirits. He's warning them, do not believe every spirit. And so therefore, I'm going to hit three points this morning to help us in these first two verses begin to get our hands on this war, this spiritual struggle that we're engaged in. First point, ready? Here it is. It's it's super simple. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Now how how am I going to unpack test the spirits? Well, I have... Three ways, ideas, because they're not really methodologies. They're more defining the idea of testing the spirits. And here's where I bring them from. They're coming straight out of the grammar. Okay? So please, just track with me for a moment. I, I enjoyed, because I'm a grammar nerd. And grammar matters biblically. This is why the doctrine... Like, there's so many things I want to say to you this morning. There's so many things... And like even, I'm thinking ahead into January and February, I think there, it's time for us to revisit the basics of the faith again. We did that like seven years ago. Uh, for a year, I like did a basic systematic theology. Our pastors have a great book called Wayne Grudem Systematic Theology. And I would suggest you to get a copy of that. You can download it in iTunes pretty cheaply and get a digital version because the big one, like the it's like that thick. It's a great framework for you to, okay, is this... Christian, let me look up God. Yeah, and it's a great. It's easily outlined. It's easy to find. You don't have to read the whole thing. You just go to that chapter and read the two pages. Because there's sort of this culture developing in Christianity that's hating on good teaching. Just be spiritual. Theology doesn't matter. May I say to you, theology matters to the nth degree, because atheists are theologians. Had a wise man tell me in graduate school. The question isn't, am I a theologian? The question is, am I a good one or a sloppy one? Because if you have an opinion about God, you are a theologian. Theology, a word about God. That's what theology means. A logos, a word about theos, God. And if you say there's no God, you have a theology. It's just sloppy. So it matters what you think, what you believe, and what you say. It's not irrelevant. It's not spiritual to ignore the intricacies of what the Bible says about who Father, Son, and Spirit is. And we're not going to do that. Because John tells these people, do not believe every spirit. Meaning, there are ideas, there are words floating around that's nature. Their nature comes from this world system John is telling them to avoid. And so he has to say, don't believe that. Why? Because they have believed wrong things about God. So he says, test the spirits. Well, how are they to test them? They're to test them by the truth of what they've been taught. Hey, newsflash. We've got 2,000 years of Orthodox Christian history that we need to use in studying the Bible so that we don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so it matters. It matters. It matters. And so, when we come to this idea of test the spirits, the grammar here, the details matter. Test the spirits. Okay, it's second person Plural imperative. I can't tell you what that makes my nerddom just sore. Second person plural imperative. What's second person? He can say it out loud. It's the what? You. Right? First person is I. Right? And students never write a paper with I and you. Got to go third person. I don't let my students write first, second person papers. F. It's improper. It's terrible. Do it right, man. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry, that was free academic advice. Your, your professors will appreciate that because they won't have to hand that paper back and with a zero or ask you to do it over and then they don't have to read it again, which would be terrible for them because that's just like work. And... Okay, anyway. Second person plural imperative. You. Plural. Thank you. That's right. See, it it, it is proper to say... You ever notice when you're texting, y'all or typing it? It'll do it for you. Why? Why? Because it's proper. Yes. Glory. It's y'all. It's you. It's not singular. You. It's you, all of you, imperative. A command. It's you, all of you, commanded. In other words, test the Spirit's... Is John's command to the entire congregation. Not the pastors, not the deacons, not the more spiritual people and the less spiritual people, not those who are new Christians or those who are old Christians. All of them. His command that all of them test the spirits is for the entire congregation. So with the force of the second person plural imperative, let me say to you, all of you, whether you be 3 or 112, whatever it is, test the spirits. The ability to test the spirits is not predicated on your level of maturity in the faith. It is second person, plural imperative. All of you test the spirits. And so I've highlighted, I'm going to say the same thing three times and highlight a different word in it, and it'll make sense, okay? So, test the spirits. What is that, okay? One, John is writing to everyone, 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 the command to test the spirits. Again, this is for all of you. This isn't for me. It's not just my job to determine if that's spiritual, if that's gospel, if that's Jesus. And then stand up here and all you go, okay, okay? That's good. Thank you. You are priests to God. This is a beautiful truth of the Reformation. Is The Bible teaches us... that's a Bible truth that was recaptured in the Reformation, I should say. You are a priest to God, and the same Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. And you have access to the Father, and you have a Bible in your language. And so you should test the Spirit's ends, means, test them. Is that Jesus? Would Jesus stand and do that or say that? All of you are commanded. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul identifies for us the source of these spirits and he says they are demons. In other words, demonic entities henchmen of Satan who are teachers. I would argue that the primary person of de- the primary purpose of demons is not to scare you, otherwise they would scare you away from them to another source but they serve the primary purpose of teaching. They're teachers. They teach ideas. And then they sometimes don't even have to teach wrong methods because if you have ideas planted, you create methods. And if the idea is wrong, then the method will be wrong. Right? If Jesus is equal to all the other gods, quote, idols on the face of the planet, then it doesn't really matter how I tell them about God, does it? Just tell them, God. Well, who? Well, just God. Believe, pray. Really? Okay. That's pretty simple. All right? But if Jesus is God and all the others are not, then my means have to reflect that by saying, don't just believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Which is why they kill missionaries. Not because they come with a good God message, but because they come with a Jesus message. And so they teach. They are teachers. And they teach wrong doctrines. They are deceitful, Paul says, meaning they intend to deceive. Can you tell the difference between a deceitful methodology and a gospel methodology? John says to you and to me and to these Christians, test the spirits. John 10, to 5 Truly, truly, I say, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. God, I want to spend some time there. I don't have time. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. Do you know the difference between the voice of Jesus and the voice of demons? and your own thinking. My sheep hear My voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. When He has brought all His own, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him. You know Here's the good news here? Jesus goes before you. You're not plowing new ground. And He says, They hear Me and they follow Me, for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. John is writing to everyone the command to test the spirits. That goes to all of us to recognize the voice of Jesus Versus the voice of the demonic. Can you hear? He who has ears to hear, hear. John is writing to everyone. This is the second way to define that. Test the spirits. John is writing to everyone the command. Command. To test the spirits. This is not optional. Testing ideas and strategies is not optional. Optional. It is not to be ignored. It is to be done. We are to test. Exercising discernment is an optional when testing the content of a message, the content of an idea, or the content of a methodology. Third, John is writing to everyone the command to test spirits. I'm going to give you some things... Toward the end, to help with that. But we are commanded to test the spirits. What we'll is test the spirits? Well, we are to apply tests to the messages we hear. We need to apply tests to the messages we hear. I'm going to talk about the test in a few moments. When I say messages, I don't necessarily mean preachers, I mean ideas thoughts from commercials to movies to everything test the message listen ma'am i'm i'm never gonna because i like tv way too much and and that needs to change the lord's gonna have to convict me of my sin okay particularly during football season which is upon us praise his name (laughs) um Movies. I love movies. And I like to watch movies. I like to go to the movies. I like to rent movies. I like to... not even don't have to rent them anymore because Blockbuster's dead. But download movies and... You know what I'm saying? Like, I like movies. Um, I even like, like Pixar rocks, man. Like, I, I need to go see planes bad. Right? Disney, like, I'm in. So I, we need to go to the... I mean, it's okay to enjoy. But we don't enjoy with our brains turned off. We enjoy... Testing the message. I encourage you to go watch the movie The Incredibles. Great movie. Seen it? Awesome movie. Ask yourself, what is the world view of the writers of that movie regarding male and female relationships? Just go ask that question. Just go ask it and evaluate it. You will discover there's a message. Listen, you need to understand this. No entertainment is message free. All entertainment carries with it a worldview and a message. Do you know it? Do you hear it? Every song you hear, every movie you watch, every commercial on the television, every billboard carries a message. That's why it's there. It's to communicate to you an idea. That you know, otherwise it wouldn't be there, right? You get that, I hope. I hope that's basic. Yeah, I understand. Like even on the side of semis, right? Right? Walmart. What's the slogan? What? Something, money, live better. Walmart, right? There's an idea communicated there. Everything, every message we hear has an idea. We apply tests. Is that true? What makes that true? What do they presuppose when they're saying that to me? We test every message we hear. There's some great books out there, Entertained to Death is one you need to be reading. Some great books out there on the issue of Christians and entertainment so that you know how to properly approach all decent forms of entertainment, right? Number two, we are to apply tests to the strategies we employ. We should test how we try to accomplish our ends. Is that a good strategy? Does that strategy make much of Jesus? Does that strategy deny Jesus? We should apply tests to the ends for which we work. Are our ends proper? Are our our ends Bible? Are they Jesus? We are to test. So why are we commanded to test the spirits? Why are all of us, why are all of us commanded, why are all of us commanded to test the spirits? Well, big point number two. Because false prophets speak from demonic spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Comma, four, four. It's a trans, like it's, it's a conjunction, but it's also a purpose clause. He's introducing the reason. He's commanding us to test the spirits. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why do we test the spirits? because there are false prophets speaking from demonic spirits. This one is probably the most condemning and powerful statement, one of the most condemning and powerful statements in the whole Bible. Because what John is saying is, these demonic spirits communicate through the means of men, prophetically speaking. Women, prophetically speaking. This is one of the reasons when I stand in front of you on sunday mornings or in any connect group or any teaching environment during the week when i'm downstairs in my classroom with young minds i tremble at that opportunity it's not something i take for granted i don't i don't like flippantly stand here not prepared because i cannot ever stand before jesus and him say you you listened To a demonic voice, you didn't hear me and you spoke something that was contrary to me. I fear that at levels of which I can't even communicate to you. Because false prophets are the means by which these demonic spirits spit ideas and methodologies into the souls of God's people. And therefore, we, all of us, are to be testing spirits demonic voices of the world system of rebellion come through the voices of unsuspecting people and some who are very suspecting unsuspecting people who are more culturally influenced than they are influenced by the gospel this is one of the reasons I never give you 10 steps to doing anything it's because I want God by his spirit to tell you how to do the ends I want you to go exercise your priesthood, go to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, and I want you to hear His voice, not my contrived methodology to get you to some end that may be short of the Gospel. Say this in a minute, I want you to see and savor Jesus. Because listen, you want to know your life's mission? Don't look for a life's mission, seek God. And every time someone in the Bible sees the God of the universe in their walk with Him, they are given a life's mission. You don't need to find a mission. You need to see Jesus. And He will teach you how to get there. Not by me. There are unsuspecting voices who are more culturally influenced than they are by the Gospel. And there are demonic voices of this world system of rebellion who come through the voices of deceived, and deceiving people who are agents of this world system that are intent on dragging as many people as they can into the abyss. Romans 1.18 says these are people who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. There is an active suppression of the truth because the truth would cause them to have to repent. Why, do we, why are all of us commanded to test the spirits? Because there are false prophets speaking wrong ideas and wrong methodologies. False teachers imitate their master Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve to 15 Paul tells the church at Corinth that even Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. It looks good. Listen, I'm, I said this earlier. We're dealing with spiritual issues. We're, by the way, if you don't watch television because you threw a rock through yours because you think it's evil, repent and go get another television. Um and if it was like an 80-inch something, like pass that on to me because I'll use it. Because right? I can't, I love to watch the Falcons in Georgia um, on like a large television. So I'm just saying. So don't throw a rock through it. Bring it to me. I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> I'm convinced in our spiritually charged climate, and you are in a spiritually charged postmodern climate, just go watch A&E. Go watch Discovery Channel. Go watch sci-fi. And, and the stories of people seeking through mediums their dead relatives. Listen, man, if, if if the Bible is true in John 8 where Jesus talks about Satan being a deceiver and, and all those things that the Bible teaches about the evil one, then why would He seek to scare you? Wouldn't He seek to reel you in to a spiritual experience that's powerful? Oh, Uncle Fred. Oh, Mom! and get you into a spiritual experience in which you are sucked in deep. And what do you miss in that? Jesus. Read the screw tape letters, by the way. Great work of C.S. Lewis that I think captures some of the nature of this spiritual warfare. But what we have to understand in testing this is that these false teachers communicate demonically charged ideas And they come disguised as angels of light. Be aware of spiritual experiences that are just spiritual. If that spiritual experience does not come to Jesus, it was from Satan. Spiritual experiences don't end in the Holy Spirit. They don't end in the Father. They end in Jesus. something... I wrote this on the school blog this, uh, twice this week. I was so fired up this week, I wrote two blogs here at school. Um, notice in John 14, Jesus talking about Him being the way, the truth, and the life introduces something in which Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. So what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, Okay, Philip, let me just conjure up the Father and show Him to you. No. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't yet get it? When you've seen me... Finish it. You've seen the Father. Listen guys, our spiritual experiences have to lead us to Jesus. If they don't lead us to Jesus, they're off-center. This is why as Christians, we don't just talk about God. We talk about Jesus. We don't invite people to believe in God. We invite people to believe in Jesus. The Gospel centers on the person of Jesus Christ. That is the tenor, the voice of your Bible. It's essential. And so we, we, have to be aware we have to be aware Rome is a spiritual town and that doesn't mean gospel town it's a spiritual town big point number 3 before we roll into our conclusion okay Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. How do you know the Spirit of God? Well, we looked at last week, one of the ways is you love each other and you're in fellowship. That's how you have confidence before God. You know you have the Spirit because you love each other, you're in fellowship. Right. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Holy Spirit causes the confession that Jesus has come in the flesh. Quote by D.A. Carson. In the flesh signifies the incarnation and all that comes with the incarnation. End quote. Holy Spirit doesn't just inspire people to say, Jesus come in the flesh. Okay? It's not a oh, they said it. It must be from God. False teachers will say, oh, Jesus has come in the flesh. It's not that someone can utter, Jesus has come in the flesh. It is the idea that Jesus has come in the flesh and everything that comes with that and what that means and how that affects everything else. Does that make sense? It's not just uttering the words. You can say words all day long. False teachers say words. Saying words is not all that important. It's that those words... Affect the emotional and volitional component of embracing and following Jesus. Does that make sense? Because if I say I love Jesus, and then I do something opposite of loving Jesus, then do my words matter? Come on, this is the easy answer. No, they don't matter. But if I say I love Jesus, and then my actions show that I love Jesus, then what happens? Oh, that's legit. What did Jesus say? They will know you are mine by the fact that you say you belong to me, by how you love one another. In other words, the idea that a person believes in the incarnation has to come with all that means. So, in these next four definitions of what that means, I'm going to use the word agreement. And when I say agreement, I don't mean that you mentally believe that truth, that your mind is wrapped around it. What I mean is the mental, the emotional, and the volitional component of agreement. You hear that? Agreement is more than just the mind. It is the mind, the soul, and the hands and feet. It all goes together, right? I think Martha Berry said something about that. What is it? Mind, hands, heart, or something? Yeah, y'all who go to Barry know that. A shorter people don't do that, but whatever. Um, I'm just kidding. So when I say agreement, I mean mental, emotional, and volitional embracing of Jesus. Okay? What does that mean? Well, number one, agreement with the identity of Jesus. That is, mentally, emotionally, and practically, I'm in full agreement with who Jesus is. Prophet, priest, and king. I believe he spoke the words of God. I believe he represents me to the Father in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he rules my day today, so I'll bend the knee to him. It's not just, oh, I believe Jesus Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. I bow the knee. My actions reflect that I believe Jesus rules me well today. Do you believe Jesus rules your day? Do you believe he holds sway over your day? Do you believe he should be the one who, who should dictate your actions today? If you don't, you can't call Him priest and king. If He's king, He rules your day. He rules your morning. He rules your week. Do your activities during the week show that you bow the knee to Jesus? I have this conversation an awful lot with my students because they are tired of being ran from place to place to place and then getting home and having to do homework till 2 in the morning. And my question to them is, does that reflect that you've bent the knee to Jesus? You have no time to pray. You don't even have time to go to church. You never go to church. Because your family bent the knee to Jesus. Listen, our Christianity has to go beyond words. The fact that it hasn't is why the Gospel appears to be powerless in the Bible Belt. It's because we say Jesus and do nothing to reflect it. My time is as important as my money. Does that make sense? Do you recognize that this little app called iCal should not reflect my day? It is God's day. It's His time. He caused me to breathe. And therefore I sacrifice to Him my calendar. And I say, you make my calendar. You build my day. And if that doesn't belong in your day, shut it off, please, because I need you. Are we, are we that desperate to follow Jesus? We've got to agree mentally, emotionally, and volitionally with embracing Jesus as prophet, priest, and king over my every moment. And there's repentance that needs to be taking place here preaching to choir, as they say. I posted this out, I think, last night. I can't remember. Sometimes I tweet stuff and schedule it because I, you know, try to look like there's one that'll pop up while I'm preaching. I was like, how do he tweet while he's preaching? Because I'm good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's a little schedule button on Hootsuite, you know, like, I'm going to schedule it for this time. So I, I can't remember. But um, if I spoke of Jesus. As passionately and as often as I speak about things that are destined to perish, my evangelistic effort would be mighty. I speak more about things that are going to die and perish than I do about the eternal King of the universe. What does it say about my heart? It's got some idols. Some idols. Just being honest. Agreement with the mission of Jesus. That is mentally, emotionally, and volitionally, I agree with Jesus. What's Jesus' mission In John 18? To testify to the truth. Jesus said, for this purpose I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Well, what's the truth? What was Jesus testifying to? That's a good question. Go read the Gospels. Jesus was testifying as to the identity of who the Father is. He was testifying to what His mission was and coming to die in the place of sinners to take the wrath of God in our place for our sin. He was coming to rise for our salvation, to ascend to the Father, to send the Spirit, to lead us back to Him so that we could know Him and be empowered for the Great Commission to tell about Him among all nations. That's a good summary of Jesus' mission. So I agree with that mentally. It, It has my heart's desires wrapped up. My heart beats for that. It causes my heart to beat fast. Go, yeah, Jesus and His mission. I'm in. How do I do it? What do I need to do? And then my hands do it. Agreement with the authority of Jesus, mentally, emotionally, volitionally. I agree with the authority of Jesus. Jesus, is head of the church, ruling through His under shepherds. Do you believe that? You believe that? Jesus rules through under shepherds, and that He's the head of this church. This church doesn't stand and fall on me or anybody else. Chief Shepherd Jesus never dies. And He never moves. Believe that? Agreement with the practicality of Jesus. Listen, man. There are people who want to say theology is not practical. Then I say you've never studied theology. Theology is intimately practical. Practical. If you don't think theology is practical, then you've 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 misunderstood the point of learning. All learning has a practical application. That's why you have to learn it. What happens if you learn to weld? You get the weld. And if you don't know how to weld, you just know how to like you know light something on fire, and try to stick it together. It's like that didn't work. Why? Because you didn't learn right. When you learn right, you can stick two pieces of metal together and make it where it won't come apart. If you learn something, it works out into practicality. If you learn who Jesus is and you follow Him, it will work out into all practical arenas of life. Because that's what learning does. That's why you go to school, to learn. When you learn, it functions. Jesus is ultimately practical. Jesus is the answer to the rebellion. Jesus is the answer to sin. We don't fix sin with our methods. We fix sin with Jesus. The reason people sin is cuz they are not taken and smitten with the eternal son of God and they've sold their soul to this world system. John 2:15, remember? The lust of the flesh, the lust of eye and pride and lust of this life and pride and possessions. That's where their heart's at. They need to have their eyes lifted to behold the Son of God. And when that happens, sin will be no more. Jesus will be the desire of the soul. And they will begin to work that out. It may take till they crawl in their grave, but they will fight to follow Jesus. Jesus is ultimately practical. We don't need cheap methodologies. We need to show people Jesus. And if that's untrue, then we're in the wrong business. If Jesus won't fix a broken heart, then we need to close up shop, not worry about how many people show up, and just go do our thing. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus fixes that stuff, doesn't he? Woman caught in adultery, what did he tell her? Well, go, and if you do these three things, you might be able to solve that adultery problem. No, go and sin no more. I do not condemn you. Don't do it anymore. Come look at me, know me, follow me. Jesus is the answer for the rebellion. He's the fix, that's why he came. Because he's the fix. He's the fix. And every single one of you sitting here in this room, if you believe the gospel, you know that, don't you? It wasn't a step down method from the rebellion. It was I beheld the Son of God and the gospel and haven't been the same since. Which leads me to the conclusion. Our greatest need, the greatest need we have, I said this in chapel this week here, as we introduce the Gospel of John that we'll be studying through all year long in chapel. Our greatest need in testing the spirits is that we would see and savor Jesus Christ. It's our greatest need. Your greatest need today is not lunch. If you didn't eat again for the next 40 days... Your greatest need would still not be food. Wouldn't be food. Jesus, when he spoke to the woman at the well, disciples went to get food. Uh, and Jesus replied to them, Guys, I have food to eat that, 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 that you don't even feel or conceive yet. It's to do the will of my Father in heaven. Your greatest need would not be food in 40 days. Why? Because this fallen flesh is destined to perish because of the rebellion. But you are a living soul that will for eternally live. Either crushed under the hand of God's justice because you did not repent of the rebellion. Or forever face to face in the new heaven and the new earth with the triune God of the universe. Your greatest need is to see and savor and love more than life, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 6, something cool happened to Isaiah. And I realized when when I put this down as a conclusion that it would require more time than I'm going to give it. So please pardon me. King Uzziah is dead. He's a relative of Isaiah's and he's a good king. The kingdom is vulnerable, at least in Isaiah's perception. And so Isaiah goes to the temple to worship. And Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And By the way, just an FYI, trust me here. Whenever you see Yahweh in bodily form in the Old Testament, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Sitting on a throne in the midst of a fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're looking at the pre existent eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Who's the real king? Uzziah? No. Jesus. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was full of smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Use I as a distant memory by now. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. Who had taken the tongs from the altar and touched his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. He's the only one there. This isn't like a global invitation. Isaiah's the only one involved in this worship experience. That's a rhetorical question. I love God to ask the rhetorical questions. I think it's awesome. That's great. And what does Isaiah do? Does he look around? No. Hear me right here. I'll go. What do you want me to do? Listen, guys, your need and my need, the same as you is is Isaiah's need, is to see and savor Jesus, the one who sits on the throne. He's the end and he is the means. And he is the way we discern the spirits to see whether they are from God the Father. Put them through the litmus test of Jesus. If your thoughts condemn you today, put them through the litmus test of Jesus. If you believe the gospel, there is no condemnation. Then that thought didn't come from Jesus. Dismiss it. That's a war. That's a war. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. See and savor Jesus Christ, and in seeing and savoring Jesus, we will go a long way toward winning the spiritual war, church. And then we do that in fellowship, we do that together. When you gather and your thoughts or whatever's going, run that by people. Listen, run that by your brothers and sisters and the giftedness the Lord has placed in them. Is this from Jesus? Does this reflect Jesus? Does this look like Jesus? If you run from that question, you've already bought a demonic lie. If you don't want to know what Jesus thinks about that, then you've bought the lie. The hiss of the serpent is drowning out the voice of everything else. I want to know, does that smell like Jesus? Does that look like Jesus? Does that feel like Jesus? And if not, let's start over. It's okay. Because that's what we need to do is see and savor Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that You would make Jesus big. That we would see and savor Jesus Christ together. That we would sing to Jesus, make much of Jesus. And that, Father, in that You'd be glorified. Spirit, would You make that happen? Would You make that happen this morning? I ask that You would come against... The spirits that are perhaps invading the soul of your people, individuals, groups, and that you would conquer the flesh, and you would conquer the demonic lies, and that you would give eyes that see and ears that hear. Would you please do that today? And as you. Are about to stand. Remember, we sing to Jesus because he likes it. This is not for you. What's about to happen is not for you, it is for Jesus. So we sing to him because he likes it. But if you need to be prayed for, be people in the back you can pray with. If you need encouragement, be people there that can encourage you. If there's somebody that you're good friends with and they're here and you need encouragement or you need a word with them, go talk to them. Minister to one another. Remember, Jesus, this is for Him. So let's make much of Him.